The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Like I, I say to my writing students, you're going to outline at some point. So either you can do it beforehand or you can do it in the middle when you have created a huge knot and you don't know what to do. Or you can do it at the end when you have a big pile of chaos and have to find a story within that. And I've found that the earlier in the process you do it, uh, the better it is. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. New York Times bestselling author Eleanor Brown spoke to me about the difference between writers and authors, why adoptive families are just like any other family, and her latest novel, Any Other Family. Eleanor's critically acclaimed debut novel, The Weird Sisters, was a New York Times and number one international bestseller, though over a half million copies sold. The novel earned excellent reviews from the New York Times, NPR, E-Weekly, People, USA Today, and many others. Her latest is Any Other Family, a novel about four siblings, three adoptive mothers, and one complicated, unforgettable family. Kirkus Reviews described it as a prismatic story of family adoption and how the people we choose to keep close shape who we are. Eleanor is an anthologist, editor, teacher, speaker, and adoptive mother herself, she teaches writing workshops and conferences nationwide, including for the Writer's Table and Lighthouse Writer's Workshops in Colorado. In this file, Eleanor and I discussed her 15-year overnight success, why she doesn't read her reviews on becoming an adoptive mother and open adoption, why novelists have to outline at some point, how to start with a destination in mind, and why you need to start calling yourself a writer. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published, and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. And we are rolling on the Writer Files once again. I am honored to be joined today by New York Times bestselling author Eleanor Brown is joining us. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled. 
Yeah, this is exciting. I'm excited for your latest and um, kind of the story surrounding it and, and your kind of your personal connection to the work. But I can't wait to dig into your dossier a little bit and talk about your circuitous route to bestseller as so many authors have these fascinating stories that kind of, um, you know, precede the, uh, the accolades and the acclaim. But yeah, talk a little bit about your, your kind of fascinating history as a, uh, as a writer and kind of all these past lives that you've had. Yeah. So, uh, I think like most people, I believe there's no such thing as overnight success. Um, unless you count overnight as, you know, 15 years of, of work, <laughs> uh, I, you know, have always written and, uh, always thought that I wanted to kind of quote, be a writer, but I didn't know what that meant. And it didn't seem like a very good way to earn a living, you know, like there's no formal apprenticeship for it. Yeah. Um, but I, I did a lot, and I think I really got serious kind of in my 20s. I started publishing shorter pieces and then started working on novels. And I say that in plural because there were a lot of really terrible novels that I wrote <laughs> before uh, The Weird Sisters, which was my first published book. Mm. But, you know, I just kind of... Uh, I kind of kept trying and I kept failing better. Right. Um, and then finally uh, I found an agent for the weird sisters and then it took a very long time to find a publisher. Well, first of all, it took a very long time to find an agent. I think I queried 99 agents before I found one. Oh my. Um, and then I think it took about two years to sell to a publisher. And then I spent another year editing it. And then as you know about the book, traditional book publishing process that slowed too. So it took another year to come out. So I think it was like about seven years from the time that I started writing the book until it actually hit bookstores. Yeah. So I always say, if you're looking to a, for a speedy path for fame and fortune, I recommend reality television. <laughs> writing is not it. Um, and then, you know, The Weird Sisters was this wonderful success for which I was really grateful. Mm. And then I was faced with the question of what comes next. Yeah. So I had to write some more terrible books before my second novel, uh, The Light of Paris, came out. And then I wrote some more terrible ones. Um, and, uh, before this one, any other family. So yeah, it's definitely been, I saw a tweet that said something like, you know, we think of writing as, I don't know, sort of this smooth or publishing as the smooth slope, but it's really like a roller coaster that turns into a slip and slide. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that's such an apt analogy. So you just have to keep at it because it's what you love. Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> the slip and slide. Definitely an interesting uh, and apt um, analogy there. So um, talk a little bit about kind of uh, how you're feeling going into the latest and, and the promotional piece. And then, um, yeah, I mean, the book um, has had some critical acclaim and some really nice blurbs, which I will mention, of course, the title, Any Other Family. Also very apropos given the subject matter, but yeah, talk about kind of how you're feeling right at this moment prior to the actual publication date. It's available for pre-order now, but it's available uh, July 12th, I believe. Yes. Yes. July 12th. It is, it's kind of a strange feeling. I think that one of the things that's hard is that there's this part of the job that's being a writer, 
and there's part of this job that's being an author. And they're two very different things. And it's a strange thing that we expect people to be good at both. Like, you need to be good at both locking yourself in a room and being alone with your thoughts for really long periods of time. But then also, you need to be really good at talking to people and getting up in front of, you know, hopefully large crowds and, uh, and discussing that those are two totally different skill sets. And I think that's a really hard thing to do. And for me, it's always a little bit of a shock making that adjustment. And it's also a funny thing. Like I remember when I went to New York before the Weird Sisters was published and I was walking around um, the offices of um, Penguin, uh, you know, talking to people and they were like, oh, I loved your book. And I was like, you read my book? Like (laughs) (laughs) this thing that's been inside my head for so long, other people are experiencing it too. And one of the great lessons that the Weird Sisters taught me is that, you know, when when you put your work out into the world, it no longer belongs to you. Mm. And people are going to make of it what they make of it. And they're going to bring all their own stuff to it. And you just have to let it go. And I think that it's one of the, so I don't read reviews. I don't allow my publisher to send them to me. They can tell me if they exist, but I don't (laughs) want to read them. And I think that part of the reason that people do, because I know writers who obsessively read Amazon reviews or good read reviews, and that is just a way to slow madness to me. But it's a way, I think, of trying to feel like you're in control of the process, Mm. even though you're not right? It's out of your hands. It's out in the world. And so I just feel like I have to surrender that to the reader and let them have their own experience with it instead of trying to to interpret it or control it for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And probably, yeah, keeping you a little bit saner than uh, some might be. But um well, I don't know about that, but I'm definitely definitely not being driven crazy by reviews. <laughs> <laughs> well, any other family um, has had some great reception so far, thus far. I'm sure that uh, being this out of your control, um, it will still feel uh, rewarding to be out there and speaking with people about it. Oh yeah. Um, of course, it's it's a story, uh, a novel about four children and three adoptive mothers and a, a complicated, unforgettable family. But yeah, talk a little bit about your own. Uh, path to this novel because um, I believe that in 2018 you unexpectedly became an adoptive mother yourself and you talk some and have talked some about kind of the difference between closed adoptions and opened adopt open adoptions and it's kind of a really actually a, a very interesting time right now given um, yep. the overturning of uh, Roe versus Wade and that whole conversation not that we need to get into that but um, yeah, talk about oh, your, it's very relevant. Yeah, yeah. Talk about your, your inspiration behind the book. And, and then, uh, we'll talk about this, the, the complicated interweaving of these narratives. Sure. So, um, yeah. So back in 2018, um, my husband and I did, did not have kids and, uh, we were old, so <laughs> we kind of <laughs> thought that that ship had sailed. And, uh, I got a call one night from my, uh, OBGYN. It was like nine o'clock at night. We were watching the, the Olympics and, um, I don't know about you, but like my doctors don't usually randomly call me at nine o'clock at night. So I was a little startled (laughs) and, uh, and she said, listen, I had this woman who came in for her annual exam yesterday and it turns out she is six months pregnant and she wants to make a plan for adoption. Do you want a baby? Uh, and I don't know about you, but I've never gotten a call before in my life where somebody offered me another human being. (laughs) 
No. Um, it was not a call I was expecting, uh, but you know, my husband and I talked about it and we met uh, my son's birth mother and then his birth father. And we just all kind of fell in love mm. and created this family. And yeah, so we have an open adoption, which is becoming more the norm, but I think a lot of people still have this idea of closed adoption in their head. So the difference is that we have a relationship um, and my son has a relationship with his biological parents and really his actually in his entire extended biological family yeah. um, as much as we can do that. And so, you know, we know from the past that a lot of people grew up without knowing any of their history and sure. sometimes not even knowing they were adopted. And we know that when it's possible and it is not always possible or healthy for everybody involved, but when it is possible and workable, it can be really beneficial to the child. So we're really passionate about that. And it's been a uh, Really successful. It's gonna. It's been hard at times. It's gonna be hard at times in the future. But one of the the things that I came to with writing this book is that family is hard. You know, no matter how you forge it, family mm. is complicated and wonderful and hard and uh, amazing and loving. And you just have to kind of push it through. So yeah, that that's kind of how I developed this interest in adoption. And my other books are also about family. Mm-hmm. So when I started to put together any other family, it just seemed like the right story to tell. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And in your own words, you actually said, um, adoptive families are just like any other family. And I think as you put it, wonderful and complicated. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on.
Yeah, let's talk about the, the work itself. And then kind of, you're kind of had mentioned that you're kind of working out these questions in your head. And so, of course, yeah. it, it can't help but bleed into the work and, and into these char- these fascinating characters. And uh, we won't do any spoilers on this show, but I thought um, it was interesting that the book uh, has a diagram at the, at the beginning uh, yeah. near the prologue that just kind of maps out the relationships. And at first, it, it's, it's kind of vexing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, talk talk a little bit about kind of how the how the novel how you structured this uh, fantastically complicated and wonderful story. Yeah, so um, so I'll just do the the elevator pitch, um, which is it's this any other family is the story of three sets of adoptive parents who become family when they adopt biological siblings. So each of them. Um, adopt part of this family. And uh, they're on their first annual, maybe last annual, if you ask some of them, (laughs) uh, family vacation, and they get a call from their children's birth mother saying she's pregnant again, and she wants their help finding um, a family to adopt this child as well. So that's kind of the setup. And, you know, I think I always do this and I never really, it's interesting sort of being interviewed about your work because if you're just doing your writing, you're not necessarily thinking about why you do things, but when you get asked questions, you have to articulate it. So I think that one of the things that I've done all along is that I've taken these questions that I'm wrestling with personally and I give them to characters to work it out because I'm like, I don't know, you guys figure it out. (laughs) Um, And that was very much the case here, you know, kind of like, what does it mean to be a family when you're, because even if, you know, you get married, you usually have some period of courtship and you meet everybody and you meet their extended family. And this was very different. I, I think I, I, talk in the book um, gave to one of the characters this idea that it's like an arranged marriage Mm -hmm. um, where you're just sort of like thrown into this relationship and for better or worse, there you are. Um, And, uh, and yeah, so I was just kind of wrestling with these questions of what it takes to, to make a family. How do you, like, if you have no shared past, if you have no history, how do you set boundaries and what kind of traditions do you create? And how do you honor the history and baggage and different sort of rules for living, not to mention rules for parenting, uh, yeah. that everybody comes to the relationship with? So I was like, okay, you guys go figure this out. And I came <laughs> up with... Um, these three women and uh, four children, and uh, two of the two of the women are married. Um, and I just kind of set them loose on these questions that I was wrestling with. Yeah, I don't know why I thought while I was uh, enjoying the book, all happy families are alike, mm-hmm. and each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. The uh, Leo Tolstoy uh, quote from Anna Karenina kept popping up into my head um because of course it's complicated of of course as you mentioned these boundaries and traditions and all the baggage that comes with not not really being especially connected like on a on a timeline uh but then being thrown together is um pretty fascinating Mm -hmm. stuff so let's talk about the the process Uh, obviously you have some lived process but talk a little bit about kind of you know as you're putting all of these uh, pieces and characters together. Are you somebody who is um, plotting out uh, like with a, an outline of some sort before you kind of get mm-hmm. into the work? Are you just are you just digging in and 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 uh, starting to churn out 
pages how do you um kind of set up the the how do you set up the desk before you actually start getting into the flow state yeah so i am a little bit of both i'm a little bit of a plotter and a little bit of a pantser over time i have definitely learned to be more structured it just like I, I say to my writing students, you're going to outline at some point. So either you can do it beforehand or you can do it in the middle when you have created a huge knot and you don't know <laughs> what to do, or you can do it at the end when you have a big pile of chaos and have to find a story within that. <laughs> and I've found that the earlier in the process you do it, hmm. uh, the better it is is sort of the more time it saves you and it helps make decisions. And this is a pretty complicated structure. Uh, the book is written in third person, but it is a very close third. So the uh, mothers are alternating chapters and yeah. I kind of had to keep track of who was doing what and what was happening. I mean, the, one of the issues just sort of very practically as a writer that I had to wrestle with is that just this family together in this vacation house, there's nine people. Cool. And that's a lot of people to manage in a scene. And there's a baby and like, you can't just always have the baby sleeping. The baby has to be awake sometimes. So it's just a lot <laughs> of stage management. And so I really feel like outlines help. Um, I have uh, color-coded post-it notes, which are my savior. Mm. Um, and I just kind of worked it through. And then I also have, uh, there are kind of interstitials uh, in between sets of chapters that are from other perspectives yeah. of hopeful adoptive parents. And so I had to kind of manage where those were going to do as well. So I really feel like a little bit of planning saved me in that way. Of course, it changed as it went along. My editor was highly involved with this. This was my my 2020, I wrote it in 2020 novel. So she and I were on the phone all the time because we had nothing else to do. <laughs> we had nowhere else <laughs> to go. Um, so she was highly involved and it did change a lot over time. But I think having this general idea of where I wanted each of these people to go individually and then where I wanted the family to go overall, having an idea of that ahead of time was super helpful. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So if you could be kind of evocative about, you know, like when you, when you get, when you are in the throes of, you know, the flow state and the kind of the, when you're hitting, hitting your stride, what do you feel like is kind of like, can you describe your best writing day, kind of how, how it starts and, uh, or when it starts and kind of how you get into that flow state? I think that 
It's best when I have a plan and I know what I'm doing. Those are the best days. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. uh, Are you familiar with 2K to 10K? It was a blog post and then she transformed it into an ebook. It was basically the writing. Yeah. So how to go from writing 2000 words a day to 10,000 words a day. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I got to tell you writing 10,000 words a day, I think is a terrible idea. But (laughs) um, the principles that she recommends are really smart. And one of them is know where you're going before you walk in. And sort of Uh. like if you have a vision of what you're doing, you know, whether it's a little movie in your head or it's a post-it note that's full of four bullet points that you want to accomplish in that day. I think that's, I think that's really helpful to me because if I just kind of start writing, I'm just going to meander around and I'm not, I I might stumble across some interesting things, but it's not going to be great. I also think that there's a couple of places in the work where I'm more likely to hit that flow state. I think the beginning, we're all familiar with that, where you're super excited about the project and you're getting to know everybody. You know, it's like falling in love, right? You're Mm. you're super excited. You want to spend all that, all this time with people. And then you hit, for me, it's usually about the 20,000 word mark. And now it's like you're in the long-term relationship. My (laughs) my friend, my friend Denise calls it the farts and laundry stage. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, here we are. We're in the farts and laundry stage. You know, I got to move all you people around and get you going. We're in act two of the book. Um, and that's much harder to get into that flow state. And that is where the idea of knowing where I'm going is really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just, and that's an ideal day, day to me is where I know where I'm going. And then I sit down and I get there and maybe I have some wonderful moments of serendipity along the way. Um, but, uh, but I really can sink into it because I don't have to be sitting there worrying about what next, what next, what next I can just kind of enjoy the process. I'm very character driven writer. Hmm. Um, and so I really just kind of want to hang out with these people and have a good time with them. And so whatever I can do story-wise to give myself the space to do that, that's really what gets me in, into that that flow state. And mm-hmm. then I can hit wherever, whatever point I was hoping to hit, or maybe not. Um, and then on for a good day for me, that's about 2,500 words. But A, I'm a very fast writer. I'm a slow thinker, but a fast writer. And B, having that plan really helps. Um, and then I can, and then I can walk away and think about where I want to go with these people the next day. Hmm. Do you, I heard some writers explain it kind of like as a grief of a grieving period. Do do you feel, um, when you finish a novel, do you feel that kind of like, Oh, hell no. A little bit of grief. You're you're just like, I got it done. I'm getting it off my desk. Oh my God. I'm like, I wish all these people would just die in a fire. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so tired of hanging out with them. Like I always hit a point where I'm like, can't you people solve your own problems? Do I have to do everything for you? I'm like, oh, I do have to do everything for you. Right, right. I created you. You're imaginary. I have to do everything for you. No, I am. When I'm done, I am ready to move on. And, you know, I, I know there are writers who reread their own work. Um, I am not one of those people. I'm actually about, I'm, I'm going to have to sit down and kind of flip through the book to find something to read at some appearances Mm -hmm. I'm going to make. And I'm just like dreading that because (laughs) I'm like, I mean, first of all, you can't help but look at it, especially 
I mean, I finished it over a year ago. And so there's that perspective you have now, right? Where you're like, oh, I wish I'd done that. Oh, I would have made this sentence different or had this person do something different. So there's that. But then there's also, it's like, I'm kind of like, I'm working on other stuff and my head is in a different place. And I don't, I don't want to go back and fight the battle that I've already fought. Interesting. Interesting. Well, uh, it has had some, some fantastic blurbs. Of course, your peer, Christina Baker Klein called the book funny wise heartbreaking and heart mending any other family explores what it means to be a family in all its messy complication of course i thought kirkus reviews had had something nice to say about it they called it a prismatic story of family adoption and how the people we choose to keep close uh, shape who we are and that it is and congrats on the work um it's got to feel good to be getting out there mixing it up with the people even though we, we do expect you to be back in that cubicle alone Hi, like, i know and i think it's especially thing. good like after we've all been so isolated for so long it's <laughs> yeah. really nice i did a, a bookseller event earlier this year and in, in person with a couple of other writers and it was it was a really nice feeling so there is that ebb and flow to publishing which is nice right i talked about yeah. those two different jobs writer and author but there is that part of the author job that i do really enjoy and it's so interesting to me i talked to a lot of book clubs Um, you know, they invite me to zoom in or Skype in or whatever. Mm. And it's always so interesting to me talking to them and hearing their ideas and their stories. Um, and, and so that, that really, that really kind of energizes me to go forward, uh, on, on the next work. Not every author likes it and that's (laughs) totally fine. We're all different. Um, but yeah, it, it does, it does feel really good to, to put it out in the world and be like, Hey, I made this thing. I hope it gives you something to think about and talk about. Amazing. Well, of course I will link to your home base there, Eleanor-Brown.com and the book. Any other, uh, places you connect with, uh, listeners and or readers out there? Uh, not anymore. I actually uh, left social media a few years ago because it was just getting, it was just another way to drive myself bananas um, and to not write. Um, I know there are some writers who really enjoy that connection, but for me, it just felt like a constant source of stress. And it was a way to make myself feel productive without ever getting words on the page. Yeah. Um, so, so I left social media. I think I'm going to reactivate my Facebook page, uh, to announce the book there. Um, but no, come check out my website. Um, I do have a mailing list. I don't think there's a link to sign up there right now. Maybe I'll do that after you and I are done talking. Well, that's a good, it's a good sort of writerly lesson. You know, yeah. I think there was a time like when my first book came out, they were like, you have to be blogging and you have to be on social media. All right. You have to do this. And this time I was like, you know what? I really don't want to go back to social media. Like, I think it's broken. I think it's contributing to a lot of problems in society. And I, mm. and I, and I don't know that it sells books. And they were like, okay. So, I mean, that's kind of like a gift that I'm going to give to some writers out there is like, if you love it and it really lights you up and you can still get words on the page, then you go forth, my friend, and tweet <laughs> and TikTok your little heart out. But if, but if yeah. you don't, it's not, it's not going to make or break your career as a writer. Yeah, true enough. Um, well, I got a fun one for you before we wrap up with your advice yeah. to fellow scribes. Oh, I did want to ask, I just uh, had read that you had done some, some workshops with uh, Lighthouse Writers 
workshops in yeah. Colorado, which I'm yeah. uh, very familiar with because I lived in Denver for um, nearly two decades. But um, yeah, are you still doing stuff with them? Or I have I have not been recently. I worked for they have a wonderful program there uh, called the Book Project, which is like an MFA without the MFA, and people can participate remotely. Um, and so I highly recommend that to everybody. So I did that for a few years. I was a mentor for that. Um, oh, cool. And then I needed uh, a break for a while. But I am yeah. still very much involved in that community. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. And I've taught there. I've taught at The Loft in Minneapolis, which is fantastic. Um, Grub Street in Boston. There's so, so many great, great places to find a community of writers and develop your craft. 100%. All right. Here's a fun one for you. If you could have dinner with mm. any author from any era to your favorite restaurant in the world, uh, who would you take? Where would you take them? Uh, um, I would take Maeve Binchy because it is one of the great sadnesses of my life that I did not get to meet her before she passed away. Um, and we actually sent her a number of desperate blurb requests for the weird sisters, mm. but I think she was quite infirm at that point and mm -hmm. probably not blurbing a whole lot. But anyway, she is just like her reading her books to me is just like sitting down with an old friend and hearing a bunch of gossip about people you used to go to school with. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I imagine that a meal with her would be really similar. Plus mm. the Irish accent would be great. Where <laughs> would we go? I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm not much of a foodie. I don't know. We would probably go something someplace boring like Panera because they let you stay at Panera for a really <laughs> long time. Okay, that's a new nobody's one. nobody's kicking you out. <laughs> Maeve Benchy at Panera. Yeah, I like it. And you sleep in a sandwich and a, a big salad. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you're you're good to go. <laughs> okay, and 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 bottomless coffee. Right, exactly. 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 What more could you want, really? Yeah. And they have free Wi-Fi, so it's a great, place, <laughs> it's a great place to write. I highly recommend. Oh, okay. Little a little writing workshop with Maeve at <laughs> Panera. Uh, love it. Okay. Um, yeah. So you know, we we really do appreciate your time, your wisdom. I could probably pick your brain all day, but if you could just leave us with your um, advice to fellow scribes on just how to persevere through good times or bad. Um, I think I'll go back to what I say at the beginning, which is that you have to do it because you love it, right? You know, publication and authoring is this totally separate world from writing. And I think that I thought for a long time that once I got a an agent, once I got a publisher, all my problems would be over. But no, it's just a, a set of new problems and pains <laughs> in the butt that you have to deal with. So, you know, you just, you got to do it because you love it. Um, and the advice I always give to my students is regularity over length. So. I would rather have you write for five minutes every day than write for five hours once a month. And then the last thing that I'll say is something Pat Conroy once said to my husband when we met him at a book signing. Pat Conroy said, call yourself a writer because no one else will. Hmm. I like that. Call yourself a writer because no one else will. I think those are very, very wise words to uh, wrap up on. Thank you so much. Best of luck with the upcoming promotion and tour of your latest. Um, congrats on the work. And uh, we hope you come back and wrap with us in the future. I will. Thank you so much, Kelton. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to Writer files.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm.
and scene. We got it. Awesome. Thank you awesome. so much. I love I love talking to you. It's just like listening to you. It's so cool. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I love that fat Conroy quote. Isn't uh, that great? Yeah. That's so he was so true. he was so lovely. Like he just he dropped so many wonderful knowledge <laughs> bombs. 